Well, welcome back to The Full Life, everyone. Today, we're going to learn how to be redefined past the labels that have may, may have limited us in the past. We have a special guest today, and we look forward to having a great show with you. Welcome back to The Full Life, everybody. And today is all about redefining who you are, breaking past the labels that may have limited you and God's potential for you in the past. Um, I think it's a great topic, particularly for this season. We started this season saying that we wanted to refine our faith. We wanted to renew it and refresh it coming out of what a year we have had in 2020. So I think it's a perfect way to start by redefining ourselves out of the labels we may have been holding on to because we've been shaken. So let's start redefining ourselves. But first, let's welcome the panel back in. Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> hello, hello. Here we are again. Of course, it's Jenny, <laughs> Hank, and Carolyn. And of course, we start this season with an encouraging word. And today's comes from Jenny. Esther, you know, is living in Persia after the Babylonian captivity. And because her uncle Mordecai will not bow down to this man named Haman, who is second in command, uh, Haman calls for the extermination of all the Jewish people in 127 provinces throughout all of Persia. But what's so interesting about the story, and I should just say in overall, the story really, it becomes about the fact that the Jewish people are able to rise up and they're able to protect themselves and they gain victory over those that hated them. Uh, and it goes even much deeper than that. But I want to see this in a quick nutshell to you. The interesting thing about the story of Esther is that in the book of Esther, the name of God is never mentioned. God is never spoken about. He's not brought up in, in any sort of uh, even reference, except for possibly when, Haim, uh, when Mordecai mentions that help will come from somewhere for the Jewish people. But I, the reason I want to bring this up to you today is to say this. Sometimes in our lives, we don't feel God. We may not hear God. We don't, we don't see him. And so we think he's not there. But we know that in Deuteronomy, we are told, and Hebrews, that he will never leave us or forsake us. But sometimes we still think that's the truth because we don't see or hear him. But the truth about the story of Esther is that God was always there. He was always orchestrating the plan behind the scenes, even when they didn't see him, even when he wasn't a on the front stage of that uh, of that situation, he was there. Uh, even Esther says those words, I was brought to this place for such a time as this. Who do we think did that? So I wanna encourage you in your life, even if you don't see him, even if you don't feel him, even if he's not uh, uh, present that you feel tangible in your life, he is there. Continue to be like Mordecai and Esther, who said, we will not defile ourselves. We will not bow down to foreign gods and trust and rest in the fact that he is fighting for you and all things are working together for good when you are called according to his purposes. Amen. Amen. And we are going to stand. We are going to stand on those promises of purpose today. That's what we're going to do. We're going to stand on that purpose as we talk about the redefined with our special guest today. Arden Bevere is the youngest son of John and Lisa Bevere and the co-founder of Sons and Daughters, a movement committed to raising up a generation of uncompromising followers of Christ who will transform the world. He has a passion to see his generation go further than any that came before it 
fully alive in this God adventure. Oh, I like the name of life, God adventure. Please welcome to the show, uh, Arden Bevere. Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome. Hey, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Thanks for being with us. We are excited about learning how we can redefine ourselves today. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you all. This is uh, this is one of my favorite topics, so let's jump into it. <laughs> well, you wrote the book on it, so I hope so. Tell me about your journey that got you to write this book, and tell me your personal story that kind of brought you back to God and, and ultimately inspired this book. Yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, like you said, this was a this was a process of me not really. Honestly, I never wanted to write a book. I know my parents are John and Lisa Bevere, and, and people always are like, yeah, are you going to write a book? I was like, no, I can't write a book. Um, I was actually in special needs reading and writing programs all the way through my freshman year of high school. And it wasn't because the you know I tested out of it. It was because the class just stopped. So I never thought it was something I could be able to do. But um, one day, about five years ago, I had asked the question on my social media when we were trying to figure out as a ministry, how can we better reach the young adult ministry or young adult generation? Um, I had asked the question, I said, if you could describe the young adult generation in one word, what would it be? And I remember that, that question got so many responses and I got so many things that were so negative. It was things like broken, lost, entitled, discouraged, disillusioned, fearful, addicted. And I was watching as all of these things just kept flooding into my inbox. And I remember I just, I started sinking into despair because the thing is, is for, for a while, I had kind of saw, you know, other generations say about the millennial generation that, hey, you know, honestly, they, they're just too far gone. They're, they've got some things figured out, you know, they got to work through some stuff. And I had gotten used to that, but I started watching as my generation started to believe those things to be true about them. And they were writing those negative labels on there. And I watched as what I see, as you said, all generations. I've watched as, as I've talked with people, there have been people that have been carrying labels for 30, 40 years that their parents or their, their friends or their teachers had put on them that they did not realize they were making decisions based off of that. The reason why I felt like I needed to honestly do this is because it came from a place of me just wanting to cry out for my generation. Because the thing about a label is God never labels his people. Throughout scripture, you'll see he never labels his people. He always calls them. You know, a label speaks to what you can see in the natural, it speaks to who you have been in the past, you know, who you are right now, the mistakes, the trauma, the, all the things you've gone through. That's what the world will do. But a calling speaks to the potential and the future that God has placed on your life. You know, it speaks to the eternity that he has placed inside of you. And so I wanted to see my generation shift from the labels of this world to the calling that God has for them. So I, what I actually did is I started actually just journaling. And so I would write, um, I would write a negative label that was written on that Facebook post. And I would go into scripture and I would write the scriptures that were contrary. And I would just make that the prayer for my generation. So I did that for about two years. And then that's kind of what, you know, through a, through a series of events, my mom, pushing it. You know, my mom got me being the great mother. She is. She was like, this needs to be a book. And I was like, I can't write a book. I don't have the ability. And that was something I had to overcome. But I just, I, I wanted to see my heart really crying out for this generation and make sure I wasn't just writing something, just to write something because I am 26. I don't, I, I'm like, when I think, look at the amazing authors that I read, I'm like, you guys, I know you don't, you probably don't have it all figured out, but you, you're like, you are so wise and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm 26, I'm still learning, I'm still growing. And so I wanted just to be a kind of act as a brother to my generation and show, hey, this is what God taught me through these situations, through these labels. And this is what I want for this generation. I wanna see this go so much further. 
I like that you're writing to your peers. You're not trying to tell someone you know better than them. You're trying to share your experience and that's so beautiful. So thank you for doing yeah. that. Um, you know, you mentioned that this generation is called to make a difference. And I, I would agree with you. I think every generation has a calling that is on them. Um, but that the overall social conscious that we see in this generation and the desire is really a divine calling. But also that there is there needs to be uh, some caution uh, to not make this another Tower of Babel, trying to reach God for our, I mean, trying to, you know, reach that penultimate and make it about self, because this generation is very, very self-oriented. So, you know, um, the Tower of Babel can be cautionary tale if we're not putting, you know, making a difference in for the right reasons and not just to glorify ourselves. Would you kind yeah. of explain that? Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. Like, well, like what you said, the Tower of Babel. I think that's a, that was a, when I read that story for the first time, God showed me the, the power that comes when there's a generation that is unified under the same language and under the same mission. And because God sees you know, there's a group of people back then, they said, Hey, let's build a tower that reaches up to the heavens. And what were they doing is they were trying to make a name for themselves. And I'm watching as there's a lot of people that are trying to make names for themselves. And ultimately what happens is God looks down at them. And he says, Hey, you know what? They can't do that. And he said, I have to change their language because he made the powerful statement. He said, because they are of one language and one purpose, whatever they do will be possible for yeah. them. So God clearly said they could do that if they, so if they so desired. Yeah. And I started thinking about this idea of, yeah, of a generation. What, what, what could happen if we saw a generation that was unified under one purpose and one language. And what I'm saying when I say language is not is not you know English or Spanish or French or whatever. I'm talking about a kingdom language, the kingdom of God, the, the what the biblical statements have been made and the foundation, the word that has been spoken since the beginning of creation, living under that kingdom mindset. That if we see a generation that is is not so fixated about making a name for themselves, because ultimately, as you try to make a name for yourself, those things will end in destruction. You know, that's what happened with the tower. It ended in destruction. It's, it was destroyed. But no, when we come together as a generation, we can build something that is going to last into eternity, that is going to make a massive impact on the kingdom. And that's that's not, that. I'm saying this, as you said too, as is, is I'm speaking this to my generation, but that's that's for all people. I'm seeing right now is I'm, I'm seeing so many people are just attacking one another with the tools and the resources that have been given to us to really impact people. Like I look at this generation, I'm like, social media, like, you know, some people absolutely hate it, but I'm like, social media is an amazing tool. Like never mm -hmm. before have we seen a generation been able to reach across the world in one post and impact someone's life. We've never seen that. But what I'm watching is we are continuing to use our words, not to build and strengthen others, but to tear and attack people. Mm -hmm. And if we continue to try to make people the problem, we are going to completely miss out on the mission that we have been because people are our mission. And so we have to come together. Mm -hmm. I think right now what we're seeing a lot in the, and this is maybe contrary to a, a popular belief is we're seeing it that you know honestly the problem i don't think in the world right now is a lack of sons and daughters of god i think mm -hmm. it's a lack of sons and daughters of god who've stepped into the fullness of what that actually means who actually know right. what the word of god says right. about them and yes. what they're called to do so if we see that i think we're going to see yeah. true transformation so good so good awesome you mentioned social media which i feel like is one of the places that we see brokenness um on so many levels just come to the forefront 
Um, but speaking of brokenness, I think many people in each and every generation feel broken. Um, brokenness then can lead to, you know, cynicism, criticism, hopelessness, um, and even depression. Yeah. But you talk a lot about how it doesn't have to. So I want to give you a chance to explain how brokenness occurs and then tell us about restoration. Right now, we do live in a, a society that tells everyone, hey, if you have, you know, if you have weaknesses or things that you like, please hide those, like hide your weaknesses and show us your strengths. You know, that's that's the social media day and age that we we live. We base everything off of people's highlight reels. But I love how God's God flips the complete script. He said, show me your weakness and I will make you strong. And there is a process that comes where. Um, you know, the, there was an old uh, Japanese art form that I, I studied and I learned about that showed me this beautiful process of when we give our brokenness to God, what he, what he does with it, rather than trying to hide it and, you know, feeling ashamed of your past or feeling ashamed of what things you went wrong. Um, it's the, the art form of Kintsugi. And this was all created because a Japanese um, empire commander, he was, he was uh, actually he had his favorite mug that was broken. And so he had sent it off to China to get it fixed. And when they sent it back to his dismay, they sent it back with just big bulky like staples in it. And he said, there has to be a way to repair something so that it is more beautiful after its repair than it was before. And so they created the art form of infusing gold into the cracks where, where the brokenness was. And that and I think the beautiful thing about this art form is that it would not try to hide the broken areas. Just like we are not supposed to hide the broken areas of our life. Those are supposed to be the living testimony. It would actually highlight them. And it would cause there to be an effusion of beauty to go on that 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 once broken and destroyed, once helpless spot that we thought could never be restored or fixed. And that's what God does is when we lean into his spirit, God doesn't hide your brokenness. He doesn't like just restore you and say, all right, we're going to shove that underneath the rug and forget about it. No, God actually uses your story to highlight such a beautiful thing so that the, the, the what we think is the pristine actually is not as valuable as what was broken and restored. I think that's the beautiful thing is that when it was broken, um, it was it became more beautiful when they restored it and it also became more valuable. So I think a lot of people in this generation as you just kind of sit in that despair and sit in that brokenness and don't allow God to truly bring that restoration, you're missing out on the beauty um, the beauty that comes in that restoration. And so I, I don't, you know, I don't want to see a generation defined by brokenness. I want to see a generation restored into the fullness and the, the beauty that God has for us. I love that. I, I just have to share this because I know, you know, Brian, my husband, and he was praying once and said, um, he was just praying to God. He said, God, I have, how could you ever use me? I'm such a broken vessel. I'm so cracked. I'm so flawed. And he said, the Lord said to him, don't you see those cracks are where my glory shines through. I don't expect you to behold, just allow, give it to me. And then God showed him in the scripture where the root word for Messiah, uh, Mashiach is this word Moshuch in the Hebrew. And Moshuch means glue. You know, for me, I just wanted to talk to you about faith. And, you know, there's some doubt that's out there in kids. They're wondering, is God real? Yeah. Is all of this real? What is it all about? You know, for me, I just want to hear your thoughts on is um, doubt an absence of faith? Honestly, when I was growing up, there was a narrative that was told that, hey, if you experience any kind of doubt, that means that you have weak to little to no faith. And, and so oftentimes what I saw, and even when I went to Bible college, it is uh, I remember our professor, he said, hey, if you have a hard question about God, he said, write your hard question down on a piece of paper, crumble it up and then throw it in the fire. 
And I was like, that's completely wrong because what's that what? saying is that God is not big enough to answer your questions. Right. And so, yeah, and that, and I was like, this is weird. And so what I was watching is I'm watching as people are walking away. They're either walking away or they're changing the gospel to fit the narrative that their doubts are presenting rather than going to the father and seeing this amazing, you know, revelation that he has in store. And I remember during my season of doubt, when I went through this, God showed me the story of Job. And I think it's absolutely amazing. It's one of my favorite books of the Bible. When I told someone that they were like, you're such a Bavir. I'm like, yep, that, that's fine. Um, <laughs> I love this story of Job because Job's story is, is he loses absolutely everything. He loses everything. He loses his health, his kids, his all of his livestock. And his wife even tells him, she said, hey, you should just curse God and die. Like that's a really bad place. But I love Job is Job kind of has this response in the beginning where he just has that like, hey, just have faith and don't doubt response where he just kind of pushes his doubt back down. And he says, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh. But then you watch as Job continues this story and he's, his doubts begin to start dwelling up within him. And it starts getting to this place where he can't contain it. And he starts wondering why he gets to the point where he says, God, why did why, it would have been better for me if I was never even born? Like, and he's at this place of just despair. And he finally, he meets with God. And I love this because he meets with God and God reveals to himself in a way that Job has never seen before. And he stands and he gets to witness the creator of the universe answer him through its, you know, the eye of a violent storm. And, and Job has this beautiful response because God, God begins to question him and he questions him things that are about creation, which uh, honestly, I mean, I, I know this is, this is kind of just looking at, but people say that the reason why Genesis does not go into super depth on creation story is because it's revealed so much through Job. And God was able to express himself in a way that Job had never seen to him because Job brought his doubts to God. And Job's response, I love it. Job says, he said, never again will I live based off of rumors of you again. He said, I have it firsthand. And I think right now we have a generation that keeps trying to live off of rumors. Like, I think this is the big problem, even in our identity crisis that we're, I'm seeing more and more of my generation is we don't know what the word of God says about us. Like we know what our, our most recent podcast, our favorite Instagram pastor says about us, what you know, our, our friend says about us but we don't know what the word of God says. And I love it because you see in the story of Jesus when he's out in the wilderness is he comes back and the enemy attempts to attack his identity, even though the enemy knew exactly who he was. And all Jesus's response is not some grand, like amazing response. He quotes back scripture. That's it. He quotes back scripture. And we have a generation right now that as we're seeing all these things coming in, we don't know what the word of God says. We're living off of rumors and we need to get that firsthand revelation knowledge because revelation knowledge is so beautiful. And there's, there's, there's knowledge that's going to be presented from your pastors, from the podcast, that's going to build on that revelation knowledge. That, that's going to be like, God's going to be, oh my gosh, I, I've never seen this. But if you are trying to base your life based off of just communicated knowledge, you are, you're, you're going to be basing it off of that sand that, you know, that Jesus talks about. That's not sure foundation. I'll tell you, my spirit right now is so excited because truth sets you free. You know, we want to talk about all this other stuff, but when you start hearing the word of God and what it says, it's the truth and it's in the word of God. And that's what I love, Arden. You're get, bringing us back to the word. I want to address though, that you also, you talk about living life without regrets. The popular phrase is, you know, YOLO, you only live once. Uh, people have that tattooed. I know someone that has YOLO tattooed. I 
think on their chest. Um, then there's that guy, you know, who put no regrets. You ever see that guy? His tattoo is supposed to say no regrets and it said no regrets. But, you know, that's something that this generation is trying to pursue is living a life without regrets. And it me, it's usually meant to be positive since regrets usually have a negative connotation to them. But you have a different perspective on regret. Yeah, Tell no, I well, like you said, positive. Like that's the thing is, I I think a lot of people, uh, the world's opinion is that hey, you're going to die with all your regrets, kind of things, those woulda, shoulda moments. And and I've talked to so many friends that are you know not not saved, and they've they've talked about their regrets as such a way of hey, there's really there's nothing I can do about it. And I love how Corinthians um, position is it Second Corinthians. He says there's uh, there is God. It says worldly sorrow leads to death and godly sorrow produces repentance, which leads to life. And, and there is an opportunity because the word that I actually speak over this generation, because when I go through the book, I go through 10 words and I go break down those words and then I flip them and show what God says about you. And the word that I show is the word awakened. Because there's an opportunity that's awaiting this generation where we can look back at all the things and not just look at it and say, oh, we messed all of that stuff up or we do this. Actually, the word regret that the first word, uh, the first definition for it, which I, I wish I, you've got the you got the Hebrew de- your words down. I, I'm not going to try to attempt it. But the first definition is the, the worldly regret that we know. The second definition is to fashion or to form into shape. There's a time where we can become awakened to the opportunity that regret presents itself, where we cannot see regret as something that's going to tie us to our past, but something that is going to awaken us to the life that God has for us. And so I I talk about, you know, my story with dealing with regret and how I walked through. I talk about how David, how David walked through it. Like David walked through it in such a way that everyone thought he was crazy after he walked through, you know, when he, he makes the mistake with Bathsheba and, and God says, Hey, look, um, you, cause he, I mean, David has this moment of repentance because that's the key thing is he has that moment of repentance falls on his plate face. And God said, Hey, look, you're still going to lose the child. And David, I love what David does. David, while the child's still alive, he goes, he, he just, gets on his hands, he fasts, he prays, he does this for a week, and then the child dies. And I love his response as he gets up and he goes into the temple of God and he worships God. And his and his all of his servants saying, Hey, are you crazy? And he and he said simply this. He said, when the child was alive, there was still something I could do. But now that the child said he said there's nothing more but yet to praise God. And he was praising God that he became awakened to the mistake that he made because he knew as he became awakened to that, he was able to lead in a greater capacity. You never see him make that same mistake again throughout his time. So good. I love that. I love that. That regrets can actually help to shape not, not that you live in uh, beating yourself up because you know, you don't, you can't live in condemnation, but I think it's important to look back at our mistakes Exactly. And worldly sorrow, worldly sorrow will beat you up. That's the thing. It will keep you right there. But godly sorrow will lead you to that moment of, oh, hey, I was wrong in this. And I I learned from it. And now it's put me back on the, the road back, the roadmap to life. And if I can just add this, I think it's so powerful because we're living in a day and age that we don't want people to feel that brokenness. Yes. And, and we don't want people to feel that sadness. We don't want people. And we're we're missing the point that maybe God is allowing it. Maybe it's there for a purpose. And I think that you talking about it is in a positive way is it's a good thing because it's leading us back to the cross. It's leading yeah. us back to Jesus. And why would we not want that? 
Why would we not want, why would we keep other people from experiencing the goodness of God? Right? Yeah. Oh, totally. It's not, it's not love. I think that's what we, we try to do is we try to say, hey, if I, if I just framework a person and like, just try to, Hey, just love them through their front. That's not love. Like speaking, speaking that truth and love is so important. Like if the Bible talks about, you know, the attributes of love and, and you know, it says love is patient, love is kind, but then it talks about all those things of how we are to display love. But then it says, God said, this is love that you keep my commandments. And I think what we tried to do is we tried to just That's be, great. hey, you know, I, I'm just gonna love this generation out of their problems, out of their mistakes, rather than yes, loving and speaking. Like if you keep, if you keep his commandments or keep his truth and tell people to keep his truth and you're not displaying those attributes of love, that's not love. It's the whole thing. It's being able mm -hmm. to keep the word of God and being able to walk in those fruits of love so beautifully. That is truth in love. And you can't have one without the other. Because if you have truth without love, it is legalism. If you have love without truth, it's just this like crazy nonsense that just, hey, do whatever you want and, and don't worry about it. One of my favorite artists um, has the song, God is Good. And this kind of plays with what you're saying. May your struggles keep you near the cross. May your troubles show that you need God. May your battles end the way they should. And may your bad days prove that God is good. May your whole life prove that God is good. Um, so beautiful. Um, I do want to ask a question, um, kind of thinking also about this generation, bringing in the social media too. So very much we're in this age of do it for the gram, which before my um, Gen X and boomers come at me, I tell them that they were also in the age of keeping up with the Joneses. Um, so I think there's nothing new under the sun. But in this current age of do it for the gram, can you speak a little bit to the label of lack? And this culture of comparison as seen in this generation, but again, as it's seen in multiple generations, always. You know, you're seeing a lot of um, people dealing with the feeling of lack because of social media, going back to social media, as I said, is, and we've heard this many times that people try to compare their, their worst moments to people's highlight reels. And there's that comparison mode that comes in. And I remember I, I dealt with a ton of comparison um, when I was growing up to my parents. And, and I would always get the question from people, you know, are you the next John Bevere kind of thing? And I remember for me, I actually, when I was a kid, um, I, I spoke with a stutter and a mumble. And I, I, I like talking in front of people was the scariest thing I could ever do. And so I remember what I did was I took my focus when people said that about me, I would take my focus off of me and I would put it on my parents. And I would say, look, even though I don't want to go do the same thing they're doing, even if I wanted to try to do something similar, I could never do it because I don't have the attributes or the, the strengths that they have. And what I watched a lot, and I remember God showed me this revelation last year. He said, Arden, I am an infinite God. And he said, because I'm an infinite God, there means there is an infinite amount of expressions of me. And he said, I've created every single one of my sons and daughters uniquely, which means that there is something inside of you that has never been seen from the foundations of this world to the ends of the earth, a unique expression of me that has never been seen. The world has never seen. And what social media does, which I think we have to be so careful of this, is it gets your eyes off of that unique expression that God has placed inside of you, that the world is waiting to see. I love what Romans um, Romans 8.19 talks about it. And Romans 8.19 says that it's the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. It says the entire cosmos, the entire world is standing on tiptoe waiting for the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. So when we think about this aspect of if 
the enemy is trying to present these feelings of lack and feelings of, of, Hey, you know, my confidence is, is out the window in myself and all these things. I love it because God says, no, don't rely on the confidence of you. Because I watched as what happened with me and my story is that when I stopped focusing on all the things I couldn't do and started leaning into the grace of God, I watched as he begin, as we talked about, begin, begin using those weaknesses as strengths in my life. And I love the story of Paul, like Paul, Paul goes through that story of beautifully understanding the confidence that he had in himself, where it just completely decreases because Paul starts out his journey. You know, he has that kind of high ego before he has the encounter with Jesus. And then he has the encounter with Jesus. Then he goes and studies and learns, but then you see him and he writes and he says, I am the least amongst the apostles. Then he goes further on. He says, I am the least amongst all the saints. Then he goes further on in his life and he says, I'm the least amongst all sinners who Christ came and died for. And so you watch this because this is the man who also wrote, I can do all things through Christ. And so you watch this progression of Paul realizing, hey, look, I might lack in some areas. I might lack in these areas. But as he understood his ability to lean into Christ, as that scripture says, I can do all things through Christ. As he understood that principle, he was able to lose confidence in himself, which allowed him to gain confidence in the one who created him. We don't, we don't miss out on the beauty that God's placed inside of us, what the world is waiting to see, but we also don't rely on the things that we feel like we're lacking to, to be the defining factors in our life, but we rely on the spirit of God to be the thing that brings us, that, to be the thing that we have full confidence in. I want to talk about one of the big labels, I think, is a big challenge for this generation and certainly many others. But I think in this, this age of instant access and excess in our culture, I think uh, pornography and other addictions yeah. are particularly challenging because you can get to these things a lot easier than you used to be able to. So <clears throat> talk about the nature of addiction first and then and shine some light on what people may be struggling with. And then we'll go into sort of overcoming from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I'll, I'll jump into it right away of just kind of sharing my story is I, I was, I stumbled across pornography when I was 11 years old. It was not something that I was looking for. It was simply, it popped up on my laptop computer and I, I was instantly repulsed by it, clicked out of it. But then of course, just curiosity got the best out of me. And I remember I struggled with pornography, addicted to pornography for nine years. And, and I think oftentimes when we think about addicted, um, I think, you know, we can either think about it as from this place of, you know, Hey, it, it's the person that has substance abuse has hit them rock bottom or, and you know, they've lost everything or we actually minimize the, the, the word. And we say like, yeah, I'm addicted to binge watching or I'm addicted to coffee and all these things. And I think addiction is one of those hardest labels to identify in your life. And it's one of the hardest labels to confront. And I've had so many conversations with people and I want to talk personally about pornography because that's the addiction that I walked through. And I know that these are things is that there is a, um, there is this, honestly, just the, 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 the struggle that comes with addiction where you just feel like um, the shame and, and the brokenness and the hardship uh, of just wanting to hide those things. And what I'm watching is, as you know, as you said, is pornography is something that is becoming more and more increasingly uh, so accessible to all ages that now the the average age for someone stumbling across pornography, getting addicted to pornography, is 11 years old. 
I have an 11 year old nephew and I cannot even imagine that. Like, I'm like, that is absolutely crazy. Um, and so it's something that we have to be aware of because I think oftentimes what we try to do is we allow ourselves to stay in this dark, broken world of, hey, people people will not understand you know and it's not it's not it's not like the the topic that uh, I talked about a lot honestly and we're like we just want to stay there we want to hide it and we want to do so I wanted to be super open and honest and there was lessons that I learned how what you said of how I was able to overcome and I think is is truths and things that you have to do when fighting addiction why is it so powerful? There is a survival mechanism inside of our brain, um, you know, where it's 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 targeting the food um, pleasure, and, and I can't remember the other one, but it's targeting those things. And so, what happens is when you need that like momentarily release, pornography, your brain actually gets hardwired to think, you know, hey, I'm in the survival mode, and you actually need this to be able to survive. And it's really like, it's a crazy understanding. And that's why the Bible is so clear and so like insistent on the constant renewing your mind, because as you get hooked into it and as you get trapped into it, I'm honestly, I remember all the times that every time that I fell into it, like I, it was in the moment, there was that battle of self-preservation to self-destruction. It was like, I wanted to stay as far away from it, but yet then I always fell into the trap of the, the destruction. And I, I remember every single time it would happen and I would stumble upon pornography, I would just sit there at the end and just feel so ashamed and so broken and being like, I'm never going to re go back to this. I'm never going to, you know, find myself in this situation again, but yet it would continue to keep pulling me back because I was not allowing the renewing of my mind to actually happen. I was allowing the fear of actually falling back into it to be the thing that was controlling my life. I remember I would always be like, okay, I haven't done anything in like a week. I'm doing good. Like, and I was like, I'm standing, I'm, I'm doing better kind of thing. And I was, I was so fearful that I was going to fall back. And I'm telling you, you're never going to like, this is, this is shown through all, all over the world. You're never going to win a battle by running away from something. You have to run to something. You have to run to the promises that God has set up for you. And I remember for my life, one of the things that got me set free from this was that, um, hang on, sorry, my wife, uh, was, was that uh, I, I realized like I, for so long, I wanted a beautiful marriage. Like I had this, this marriage that was framed Eric in my mind. And I, I would imagine my wife and I was like, I can't wait for all the amazing things that we're going to do with her. And I was like, well, um, you know, I, I realized that as pornography was so much a part of my life that it was actually stealing from the future that I had. And so as I kind of realized that and the promise that God had set before me, I was able to shift my focus. And I said, you know what, God, I'm going to fear you more than I fear pornography. And I think that's a key thing that we've got to learn as a generation is this idea of a healthy fear of God. thing. And I want to make sure I'm clear with that because the Bible does talk about it, you need to flee you know, temptation, you need to flee those things. And that's, that is 100% true. If you find yourself in those situations, you do just the same as Joseph did, you run away from something, but make sure that you have something that you are running to. You know, I have to tell you, it's, um, it's concerning to me of how do we protect our children? What, what can I do as a mother? 
there's all the practical things that you can do with, you know, setting up the boundaries and things like that. But I remember what my parents did so well since we were kids is framed out the future of God that we had. And I remember every single time that we would slip up or we would do something wrong, I remember their words that continued to echo in my mind. And so what my parents would do is like when we when we were kids and we had said something wrong or we talked back to them, they would always be like, hey, you're a prince. And princes don't act like that. And I'd be like, mom, did you take like the DNA test and figure out that you have some royal lineage that you're not telling me about kind of thing? I was like, what do you mean you're a prince? And, and they would always correct the behavior, of course, but then they would call forth the future that we had. And so when we were kids, we didn't understand what it meant to be a prince. And, and they were trying to framework, hey, you're a prince of God. You're a son or a daughter of God. And the identity and the future that he has for you is so great. So they started frameworking that out for us. As I made those mistakes, as I continued to try to fall further and further away, the voices that always remained in my mind was the words that my parents had framed out for us kids since we were young. That's we good. say that to our boys, we always tell them, my husband will tell them, you're royalty. Why do I have to dress? You know, why do I have to do this? You know, why do I have to eat? you know, this certain way, because you're royalty, you are a son of God and you need to be prepared to sit before Kings. And I always say, God labeled me forgiven and worthy. I'll take those labels. Um, but I know we live in a society right now that, um, a lot of them are saying that this next generation thinks that they're entitled, they act entitled. And, um, I just love to hear what that means to you and, um, how, how you feel about that. Yeah, I think I think so. Like what we said before is we live in that instantaneous generation where there's a lot of things that come um, instantly to us. You know, if we want something to eat, we just pick up our phones. Uber Eats brings us right to us. You know, if we want to get in contact with our friend, we just shoot them a text message. And I think oftentimes when it comes to our purpose, we do not want to wait. Um, we want that to come very instantaneous. And I watch what happened in my life when I, I felt like, you know, I was like, you know, my parents told me that, hey, us boys are going to go further and farther than, than, um, than they ever did. And I was like, you know what? I'm young. I've got these new ideas. I like these things need to happen. And I watched what happened when entitlement kind of crept into my heart and, and the resentment and the, the loss of gratitude and thankfulness that mm. was presented and the loss of the, the, the lessons that were learned in the process. Like we, we, as a generation, we don't love the process, but there is a development of character and lessons that are learned in the process that are so crucial to this generation that we try to skip um, because we're watching. I mean, statistics are showing that millennials are one of the hardest generations to employ because we leave jobs because we feel like we're not making a difference within, you know, after three months and that we don't want to stay around for that process to actually happen and develop. And there is a power that comes in the process. And I watched what happened in my life um, when I went through that process. And I remember I walked back, like after my season of entitlement, I walked back into a situation where I had less responsibility. I was getting less paid and I, I was not like, I was just a worse, worse situation. And I had never felt so fulfilled in my life. Mm -hmm. And I watched as the things that I was trying to push on my parents. I watched as I just continued to sit in this thing, so this, this attitude of just thankfulness and just watching what God was doing in that process. I watched as he brought something about that was so powerful, so much beyond what we could ever dream in that se season, which was sons and daughters, the ministry that we created. And, and I watched the, the, you know, the story uh, of Hannah, 
Like the story of Hannah, I think is a beautiful illustration of what happens in that season of, of waiting is because the Bible talks about it. And the Bible says that the Lord closed Hannah's womb. And I think what this generation needs to understand is that there is going to be seasons where you feel like you are not producing any fruit, that you're not going anywhere. And I love this because God is trying to show you a beautiful, uh, a beautiful lesson, a beautiful characteristic that he's trying to work through this. And Hannah, Hannah gets to this place where she is so discouraged by the, the, all the things that are going in the natural. And she goes into the presence of man and she almost settles. Like her husband looks at her and she's like, Hey, he said, Hey, aren't I better than 10 kids? Kind of thing. He's like, like, I look, I've been married for two years. I know that's not the right thing to say. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to replace 10 kids in our, our marriage. And, and she goes there and she's like, she gets even more depressed. And I love what Hannah does is Hannah goes into the presence of God after that. And she cries out with everything that she has. And that, that sounds poetic, but when you actually think about the reality of crying out with everything up, that, that's just, she was in this place of desperation. And, and she went through this long season and she finally gets the thing that she wanted, which was just a son. She said, I just want a son. That was it. But I love it. She gets a son and her son that she receives is Samuel. And Samuel goes on to anoint the, the, anoint the king of Israel, David. And not only did she get a son, she got five more kids. And so I think oftentimes when we're thinking about entitlement and, and, and that, that reality, I think what we do is we just feel like we're, hey, I'm, I don't see anything moving. I don't see anything happening. And so we want to try to push our own timeline rather than God's timeline. And God says, if you are just looking at all the things in the natural, just like Hannah, Hannah said, I just want a son. I'm fighting for just one son. God said, if you're just looking for just that, you are going to miss out on the supernatural, which is I have six kids prepared for you. There's something about that kind of fear, having that disappointment of God, fear of being away from God, that's really healthy for us. And you mm -hmm. touched on that. I would love to see you go a little bit deeper with that healthy yeah. fear. Yeah. So this is this is one of my favorite topics because as I said, there, there, you know, I experienced it like you just said. I walked through it where I had an unhealthy fear of God and I lived my life dictated by that. And that was a Terrible, terrible place to be. And I've watched as I've seen it. We kind of completely swung the pendulum. And, you know, we take the scripture. I've seen many people in my generation take the scripture and be like, hey, um, I don't talk about fear in my relationship with God because the Bible says perfect love cast out all fear. And that fear is a terrible master. And so I don't have any fear in my relationship with God. That is true. That is very true. But the Bible actually talks about two different types of fear. And you can see that displayed in Exodus 20 20 is that Moses says to the people, it says, Moses says to the people, do not fear. Because God has come to see that his fear is in, it, it was within you so that you do not yeah. sin. And, and I think that's so beautiful because if that was the same kind of fear, that would be a very confusing verse. But yeah. There's the fear of the world and the fear of man, and, or the fear of God, sorry, the fear of man and the fear of God. And, and the fear of God is actually the Hebrew word. It, it's the word into me, and I'm probably butchering it, Jenny, so you know, correct me if I'm going on, but into me, which means into a deeper level of intimacy. And there is a deeper level of intimacy that is waiting for us when we get this understanding of the healthy fear of God. You know, I love what happens with Abraham. Like Abraham feared God so much and he was yet, he was known as the, the friend of God. And so when we look at a healthy relationship, what happens is Abraham's told, go sacrifice Isaac. And he begins the journey the very next day and he begins to go and Hebrews talks about it where Hebrews says that on his way to, to go sacrifice Isaac, he is going through his head of believing that God is going to 
raise Isaac from the dead. And I want to like look at the context of that scripture is up until that point, no one had been raised from the dead. And so Abraham feared God so much that he believed that God would do something so impossible as long as he just continued to fear him and obey his word. And so you get up to the mountain and Abraham's about to sacrifice Isaac and the angel of the Lord comes and appears to him and says, now that I know that you fear God. And what I'm seeing more and more from in this generation is we have rejected this idea of fear in our relationship with God, that healthy fear of God, is that we have begun to change what the word of God says. And I love how Romans Romans 3 frames out and he says, your chief sin, in other words, the sin that boils down to everything else is that you have no fear of God at all. And, And Isaiah talks about it this way. He says, the fear of God does not judge according to the seeing of the eye or the hearing of the ear. It judges according to righteous judgment. Wisdom is beginning with the fear of God. And I love it because I've always framed it out this is, is information is just having a house with no light. Like that's what it is. You can have all the, the rooms, the framework F up, but you do not have any life that is going on within that house. Wisdom brings the life that is the life of God, the breath of the Holy Spirit into your walk with God. And it brings such revelation, such clarity and such beauty to it. And so I'm wanting to see Miss Generation understand that healthy fear of God, because I think it's the key. It's standing in awe. It's standing in reverence. It's standing in just amazement of who he is. There is a factor of, fear in there. It's standing of this, God is so much greater than the world. And so if we fear God, you will live how to, you will learn how to live fearlessly. Awesome. Just give you space. If there's anything else that you felt is really, really important that people need to know about the book. Um, and then the second half is maybe tell us where we could find you, maybe a little bit about sons and daughters. Um, social media is a great tool and that might be a place that people can find you. So maybe share where we can find you on there as well. Honestly, my heart behind this whole book is as people go through it is I want to see this generation be known as sons and daughters of God. Like plainly is that is that people will look back at this generation and they will just look back and they say this generation was so alive and awakened to the things of God that he was doing on this earth, that they would be known as sons and daughters of God, that they wouldn't be known as a broken generation or a lacking generation. They'd be known as sons and daughters of God. And that comes through the word of God. And so that was my goal with this book. If you guys are wanting to pick up the book, they can, books are being sold anywhere books are sold. So you can get it from Amazon. I always say that's the best place. Um, and if they want to connect with me, you can go to Bevere Arden on Instagram. That's probably the place I'm the most active. Um, I've not jumped on a TikTok or any of those things yet. So uh, Instagram is always the best place to go. Now let's talk about the fullness of prayer. I have my my time in the morning and actually every single time um, I get into the word of God, I actually just, I, I sit down there and I have this simple prayer of, I say, Holy Spirit, I want you to come into this time. I make sure, I feel like a lot of people just open up their word and just start reading. And I'm like, I want to make sure that the Holy Spirit is welcome in this time. I say, God, I want you to give me fresh revelation. I want you to renew my heart as it turns will renew my mind. And then I want you to make sure that I never misuse your word. I think there's a lot of times that the Holy Spirit is actually talking to people and the word is talking to people, but I think we don't understand. We don't know his voice, just like Samuel. What happened with Samuel? You know, Samuel was called upon by God three times and yet he didn't know, he didn't recognize the voice of God. And I think that's that comes through what the reading the word of God becoming familiar with his voice, just like what the Bible talks about where the sea says, you know, my, my sheep will know my voice, um, that when God speaks, you will know exactly what he's saying. As you spend that time with God in the word, in that quiet time, you will become familiar with his voice that you'll become a mouthpiece for this generation.
Thank you, Arden, for your testimony. And thank you for writing the book. Thank you for saying yes and obeying to your calling and your destiny. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I appreciate it. It's honestly a true honor. It's been a great yeah, show. Truly, I loved having yeah. you. It was. And truly, I, I agree with you. I think there's a big calling. I think there's a big desire in this generation, especially to do something big. We want to do something big. We want to make a big difference. And that's great. But I think that the attacks of the enemy are, are that much harder because it's like you said, you can get very discouraged because I'm not doing anything big right now. So thank you for speaking some truth and peace into that so people can continue on the journey because we believe that we can do something big, but yeah. we just have to do it in the timing that is not ours. And that is not a fun process, but it is God's process and it will be ultimately for the good. So thank you so much. He wants you to, Arden said in his book, he wants you to live to the fullest and we want you to do that too. Every day and every episode of The Full Life. We'll see you next time.